thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Well, we're going to start this morning with a poll. How many of you grew up in a home with a front door? Okay. Now, that sounds silly, but I've occasionally gone to places where there's not a front door. There's not a front door on the house, and when I come to that house, there's always instructions as to how to get in the house. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt or some kind of mystery, choose-your-own-adventure kind of a thing, and they'll always say something like this, you're going to see a rusty bucket on a stump. When you see that bucket, turn to your left and walk forward. You're going to see a door hidden behind a shrub. Knock that on that door three times and we will come and let you in, or something Have you ever had one of those kinds of things? How many of you had a front door, but you never used it? Ah, see, now the truth's coming out. Okay, okay, here we go. So you're going to understand this. You're going to understand this. Now, what's a little more acceptable, but still in my mind uh, slightly abnormal or strange, is how many of us had a front door, but we did not use it. And beyond that front door, there's a room often inside our house, and it's adjacent or at the front door, that we don't really use. Did any of you have that room in your house? It was a really nice room. It was really well decorated. Maybe in a strange way it was extremely well decorated or really nice. Churches, especially Presbyterian churches, once had these rooms. We called them parlors. Maybe you grew up in a church that had one of those? Yeah, it was this room, and it was supposed to be for very special things, but you never used it. Did you have one of those in your house? Okay, we had one of those in my room. It was something that you would never, ever go into. And as a rambunctious child as I was, my mother would threaten me under pain of something worse than death that if I went into said room and did anything, I was going to be in trouble, especially if I did not do one thing, if I forgot to do one thing. What was that one thing? Right, Mr. Rogers' movie's coming out. What, what did he always do? Came in and... Changed his shoes, right? Right, see, I think if if my house was on fire and I tried to go out and that room was the only way that I could escape my house, but I did not take off my shoes to exit the house and escape the deadly fire, I would probably still be in trouble. I think that's really what would happen if I didn't do that. If I didn't do that, if I didn't take off my shoes. And I, I always just found that so strange. But as we've been studying the book of Romans, Paul has made it clear to us that we have a need in our lives. We have a need in our lives, and this whole front door analogy is going to make sense in a minute. The great need of our lives is to have faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's that front door, that front and center thing in our lives is that we would have faith in Jesus Christ alone. Unlike many of our homes growing up in that front door, that front room kind of situation, there was no need for spiritual gymnastics or perfection in the Christian life. That's not something that is necessary because, as we've learned in the book of Romans, none of us get it right, and that's exactly why Christ came. There's no need, likewise, for us to pretend, just as many in the church in Rome we've been reading about pretended to do, that we have it all together, that we're really together. In fact, we might even be a little more together, a little more spiritually right than everybody else around us. So now we're in the core, the center of the book of Romans. And Paul's going to take much of what he has said. And what he said in chapters 8, 9, and 10 is very convicting to the Roman Christians, uh, those who are both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, those who grew up with that old covenant, that Old Testament understanding. 
and those who did not, it's really convicting. But what we're going to see is God is saying to them, hold on a minute. Paul is telling them by the Holy Spirit, wait a minute. You are more than just what you're doing. And what you're doing actually is not enough. You need to know Christ and Christ alone. And the promises from God's word are pointing to that. So Paul's calling all of us today, just like them, no matter where we've come from and our need for Christ, he's calling us, just like those believers, to put our faith in Christ alone. And we're going to see beyond that, when, when we do that, when we place our faith in Christ alone, that we have a new life, we have new priorities, we have even a new purpose as God's chosen people. So let's take a look here. We're going to look in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 5 through 21. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has not heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Wow. Now, as we know, Paul here has been talking primarily to the Jewish Christians, those who had the old covenant, who knew better, and yet God's word is we're going to see God's promises, God's redemption is for all people. And Paul starts in this passage by giving us a reminder, a reminder that our path to redemption through Jesus Christ, it's already established, it's done. And in that sense, it is easy. It is easy for us to know Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to understand that. That front door conversation may seem silly, but I promise as we go through this, you'll see there's a purpose in it. Paul reminds us of one of the key undercurrents in the book of Romans. It's frankly that we all need a Savior. Each and every one of us needs a Savior. 
And Paul goes back to the beginning of God's law in the Exodus, that physical slaver from which God delivered his people in Egypt to remind us that our path to redemption, it's incredibly easy. Now, this doesn't mean that our life is easy. It doesn't mean that everything we encounter in life is going to be roses. It's going to be comfortable. But redemption, belonging to Christ, it's done. It's established. Romans chapter 10, verse 5 here, it takes us back to Leviticus 18, 5, where God reminded his people that perfection is the standard. Paul's been telling us this. Look at Leviticus 18, 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now you understand, what if you don't do them? Not so good, huh? It's not so good. God's standard has always been perfection. And God's people, he called them out of slavery into a new relationship, into a new covenant with him. And if you've read the book of Exodus, and this is a little plug, our fantastic study on Thursday in two weeks is going to begin a study on Exodus at 9.30 in the morning. So if you're free Thursdays at 9.30, you can come and be a part of that. We're going to look at the book of Exodus through that the entire book. We just did Genesis, and we're going into that because if you've read Exodus, or if you know the Old Testament, did God's people do a good job with following him? No way. And think about it. He brought them out of slavery. He delivered them with all these miracles. He led them. He parted a sea and led them across it. And yet in their sin, they disobeyed. He showed them what it meant to belong to them. And that's what he's showing us here. But sin has a complete grip on our hearts and on our lives. It's not so easy. It's not so easy. And if you have that experience with sin like I do, it can be very frustrating. You can get very frustrated with yourself. Have you ever been angry in a given day? You don't even know why you're angry. At least no one else can tell. You deep down, if you stop and you take a minute, it comes to you. You're angry because you've been a jerk. You've done something. You've said something. You've sinned. You've done something you know is wrong. and You're convicted by God's Spirit. And you're just like, mm, why do I do that? Why does that keep happening? It's upsetting because we know we don't and we cannot fix it. We don't get it right. Now, when God called Moses to deliver his people from physical slavery, if you remember Moses, Exodus chapter 3, he was kind of a hot mess himself. He was. He was on the run for cold-blooded murder. He was estranged from his adopted family. He was searching for his identity. He didn't even know what to do with himself. He was lost and he was kind of a wreck. But when God found him, everything in Moses' life changed. You mean, Moses was trying everything to be accepted and to get together, but he was a mess. He couldn't do it. And God says to him, hey, you're a wreck. I've chosen you. You belong to me, but I'm still God and I'm still holy. So where you are here, where this bush is on fire, this burning bush, I need you to do something for me. What's he tell him to do? Ah, uh, see how it's starting to make sense? He says, take off your shoes, Moses, for this space where you are is holy ground. Not quite like mom telling you to take off your shoes when you ran into that room. But you get the idea. You get the idea. Romans 10.5 takes us back. It takes us back into Leviticus. It reminds us of who God is. It reminds us. But as we go forward here through the book, the rest of the book of Romans, we're going to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the front door to God's heart. God is always in the seeking out, grabbing you where you are, and redeeming business. 
It's the front door of God's heart. It's his purpose. It's his work. It's the entirety of God's word, all the way back from the very beginning in Genesis and then in the Exodus to the very end of God's word when he's going to come again. We see that God's heart is for redemption. This book that we have, God's word, spanning thousands of years, reminds us that what we are here to do is to rest in him, to serve him as Savior and Lord, and the way we enter into God's heart and accept who he's about and what he wants to do in redeeming us is that we take off our shoes, we get down on our knees, and we surrender to him. And what Paul wants those Christians in Rome, just like us, to see, no longer is this about our perfection. No longer is this about how we have it all together, because we don't. That's what we've seen carried from the book of Romans up to this part. It's not about anything except for God's perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. His story of redeeming us. We know that. We have learned that in the book of Romans. But the problem is, we all try to live our lives with that front room style of Christianity, where we want to have that one outside facade, that one part of us just perfect, so it looks like we have it all together. We do it all the time. We try to convince other people, probably trying to convince ourselves as well, that we have it all together. A little more today than yesterday, or a little more now than maybe that person we just saw a few minutes ago. And God says to each of us what he said to Moses, no, you really don't have it together. But we already know that. We can shine it all up and we can make it look like we got it together, that external appearance. We can get this rule right or that thing right, but God says, and he always has said, that is not enough. Romans 10, 6 and 7, Paul actually is quoting here from the law, from Deuteronomy chapter 30, 12 and 13, where God reminds his people that even if they go to the ends of the earth in, in hopes of that perfect front room, that room you never use, that perfect kind of Christian faith, that perfect we got it all together appearance, he says, it's not really perfection. Be holy like I'm holy. Deuteronomy 30, it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. God says you can go to the very ends of the earth, you can go to the very heights of heaven, you can go to the depths of hell, but you're not going to get it together. You're not going to get it perfect. Now, doesn't God want us to be serious about our faith? You better believe he does. He absolutely does. But he also wants us to see the source of our faith and the source of our new life is not our efforts, it's not our achievements, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Deuteronomy 30 says the same thing the book of Romans says, only God can fix your hearts. And he does it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's never going to be about what we've done or how close to getting it right we have it. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. We have seen Paul over and over hammering that in the book of Romans, and we may ask, why does he do that? It's because we don't, in our sinfulness, accept it. We still want to get it together. We still want to have it right. And God says, no, you've got to let go. You've got to surrender. We want to earn it. We think we need to earn it. And the only way we're going to have that wholeness and that peace and that rest and that comfort and all the things we really deep down want is when we stop trying to save our own souls. In our sin, it's almost impossible for us to do. It's almost impossible. We try to do it. It's like when we tidy up our house. So if you have one of those rooms or if you know what I'm talking about, someone smarter than you, like a 
your mom or your wife or your girlfriend, you get the theme here of who cleans up often. Maybe that's not the same in your house. Somebody says, hey, someone's coming over. We've got to clean up. So you clean everything up, and when they come over, what's the first thing that happens? What's the first thing that happens? Somebody, somebody comes in, and maybe not you, but the person who initiated the cleaning up will say something like this. I'm so sorry we didn't have time to clean everything up. Now, if you're the lackey, as I often am in this scenario, men, this is us, usually, okay, you dare not make eye contact with that person, right? Because you know that you've just suffered for four hours cleaning up the house. And you don't want to have that face that says, you lie, woman? Because you just spent all this time cleaning up. Isn't that how we do it spiritually, though? I mean, really, isn't it what we do? We do all this other stuff. We all do it. I've done it. We all do it. We all do it. Accepting Christ is about nothing we've done. It's about everything he's already done for us. All we can do is accept it and let go. All we can do is accept it and let go. And, and Romans 10 is summing this up for us. If you look at verses 6 through 10 of your bulletin, the gospel is summed up in perfect simplicity. We're going to look through this. All we do is we confess and we believe, and that's it. That's where we get these terms we use as evangelicals like saved. Someone once said to me, that's not in the Bible. Here it is. It is. It's right there. But salvation, being saved, is a radical concept because we need to see that we need saved from something. That reality when God comes to us and we go, I'm a mess. I can't clean it up enough. I got to let go of it. God's heart for salvation and God's heart for us, when that comes alive, when we get it, when we understand it, his desire for us is to rest in him and not try to prove that we're going to get it together because we're not. We're not. Paul wants us to see that our life in Christ is one of response where we say, I'm going to confess, I'm going to admit it, I'm going to say it, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to live differently because of it. It's confession in response to what Jesus has already done. The core of the Christian life is confession and response. And the reality I was thinking about this week, it's like being on a zip line. So this week, if you are a friend of mine on social media, you probably saw we went and we rode on a zip line. Okay? Now, if you've never been on a zip line, let me sum this up to you very simply what a zip line is, okay? A zip line is one of these things where you climb up. Apparently, this is fun. So I've been told. You climb a giant tree, and they hook you into this cable. And while you hang helplessly and precariously over the canopy of a perfectly good forest you could be walking through, you're going to be hanging there, and you're going to fly across this cable. Whoever invented this is mentally ill. They need to seek some psychological counsel immediately. It's, it's an evil thing. I mean, think about it for a minute. So, but I'm serious about this. It's kind of crazy and it's upsetting, but why? I, I was getting hooked up and I thought, why is this upsetting me so much? Because I'm out of control. Right? Now, I'm sort of in control because the way you break is they give you a pair of leather gloves from like Harbor Tool, and that's your break. And they're like, oh, and make sure you do it the right way or you'll like tear your fingers off. Thanks? Okay. So anyhow, so something happens. You're getting strapped in, and, you know, there's a guy strapping me in, and 
He's a college student. He has like three neon sunglasses on and a bandana and long hair. And he's telling me about his funk, his funk band that I can listen to on Spotify. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, this guy controls my life right now. Because if this guy's not paying attention, my new friend Jared controls my life. If he messes up, Pastor Bob is going to go splat. <laughs> right? But then something changed. He said, and don't worry, I'm going to hook up in front of you, and I'm going to go first. Just follow me. I'm going to go first. Follow me. That changed everything. That understanding about the experience. That changed everything because what was then frightening became an adventure because I was just following this guy. He would go, I would go. He would break, I would break. When I got to the end, he was there with all these complicated hand signals like I was on the deck of an aircraft carrier. This is slow down, this is slow down more, this is you're dead or something. I don't even know what it was. You know, but he was there to even stop me. If I was going to do the wily e. Coyote into a tree, he's there to go, you're okay, I got you. That made a difference. Instead of being frightening, it became an adventure. My perspective changed. And when I recognized that I'm being held up by something else, by someone else who has made it, who has tested it, who knows it's going to work, who I am going to follow after, someone else made this for my good, for my enjoyment. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see in Romans 10. God's word has always been calling us as his people deeper into him, into that new life, that redeeming life in him. Christ comes. He's the second part of the Trinity. God's one and only Son. He comes to redeem us, and he literally calls us. He literally said to his first disciples, what? Follow me. That's what he did. That's what he's about. Deep down inside of us, this confession in this passage is about more than just saying something or praying a prayer, because in the depths of our hearts, what we believe, what we confess, what's deep in our hearts eventually will come out in our, in our mouths and in our lives, what we say, what we do. James 2.19 reminds us, even the demons are going to say that God is God and he's Lord. They, they know that. This is about that he's God. He's not Lord of their lives. They know who he is, but this is not about just, Jesus, I want to save you. This is about, Lord, I need, God, I need you to be Lord. I need you to be the one and only, the sovereign ruler over my life. That's what I need you to do. In this passage where it says the word confess, in the original Greek language, that word confession is, it's a powerful word. It's a powerful word. As we're going to see here, our call as the church, our call as the church is that we claim Christ. We confess him. We say, hey, I'm yours. We exclaim Christ. We get excited and we tell our people about him. And then we proclaim Christ. Christ is going before us. He's the one leading us. And so we're going to talk about that briefly. This idea first of claiming Christ that I was talking about in the passage. So if you look there, this word confess, this word there, it's a powerful term in God's word. Homolego is the word. That means that we're unified. There's consistency in our whole being, in our hearts and in our minds. We are saying this is truly in the depths of our being what I'm about. Jesus, you're not just my Savior. I just don't want to go to hell. I want you to lead my life. I'm going to follow you where you go. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Savior. We know and believe who he is, 
And confession calls us to give our whole selves to him. The church, all of us in Christ, when we confess Jesus, when we say, you're my Lord, I'm going to follow you, what we're saying is, God, I know there's going to be twists and turns. I know there's going to be ups and downs. But the ride, man, it's going to be worth it. And more than that, when we confess Jesus, it unites us together. We have one purpose and one mission because we're all on that same trajectory. We're all on that same path. We're all going to ride along together, and we're going to follow Jesus where he takes us. That's important for us to remember as the church. We want to have that uniting with Christ in our marriages, in our homes, parents with how we deal with our kids, grandparents, how you deal with your grandkids and with your adult children congregation, church, how we love each other as a family. We all want to have that. We claim Christ together. And because that changes our lives, because we have new purpose, because instead of being just terrifying as an adventure, we also exclaim Christ. And that's this idea of praise and of celebration, because we know the gospel is not just for us. We have to tell other people about it. It's for all people. God's calling for us. God's hand on our lives. When we're riding along, we have to shout it out. And I can tell you, when you're going 30 miles an hour off the ground on a wire, like 80 feet up, it's hard to be quiet. You shout a lot and wish you had some paper undergarments at some points. So I'm going to be honest with you. You do. But you have a lot more smiles than you do frowns. And there are ups and downs and twists and turns. But when we're united with Christ together, when we shout out what it means to belong to him, when people look at us and say, what is it about your life that's different? When that happens, people look at us and they say, hey, you know what? There's something going on there. When we tell them life in Christ isn't about being perfect and we don't have that front room, everything's together, we're like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a mess. I don't have it all together, but you know what? Jesus loves me and I'm following him and you should come too. It's a lot of fun. It's about getting messy. It's about getting real. It's about living out our faith. It's fun, but it's also scary. And that's why I'm saying we have to keep Jesus in front of us. What makes the ups and downs and twists and turns, what keeps this an adventure is that we see Jesus and we keep up with where he is leading us. We can't see the twists and turns that are next. And it can be hard and it can be painful because when we come to Jesus, when we come through those ups and downs, he's going to reveal to us some of our fears and our shortcomings, some of the messy, broken places that we have to get fixed. But when we give our lives to him and we surrender to him, we do shout out, we do praise and we say, I'm a mess, God, but thank goodness you love me and you chose me. In other words, what we say is, hey, the ride's worth it. It's worth it. That's what happens. We claim Christ as individual believers. We exclaim him as a community. That's why we praise him. When I'm in worship and people seem like their shirts are overstarched and they're kind of doing this, I'm not sure what to do. We're allowed to have fun in worship. We're allowed to be real as Christians because that's what people want to be a part of. That's what people want to understand. We have a new purpose. We have a new life. And Paul here says, hey, you may be asking then, if we're doing all this, if we're about all this, why doesn't everybody, why doesn't everybody come to Jesus? Why doesn't everyone come to Jesus? Why doesn't everybody get it together? That's a great question. Everyone should be coming to Jesus in, in droves. Romans 10 here, it quotes a lot of passages. It looks back at Joel 2.32. It looks back at the book of Psalms. It looks back at all these passages I don't have time to get into today. But throughout God's word, 
whether it was the law in Deuteronomy, whether it's the prophets, whether it's the book of Psalms, all this language is where God says, call on my name, you'll be saved, follow after me. And when people say to us, what is your life about? We say, come here, I'm following this guy, and I want to follow him. And then Paul says, okay, if you're doing that, you may wonder, why isn't everybody coming to Jesus? People ask me this question all the time. People ask me this question in the church all the time. Why isn't everyone just coming to Jesus? So Paul asks these questions and he kind of answers them. Romans 10, 14 here, he says, How will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's not just about me. This idea of shouting out, of proclaiming. We exclaim, we praise God, and we're going to talk about here briefly about proclaiming, but this idea, why is that not just, why isn't everybody coming to Jesus in droves? Why isn't that happening? This is a reminder that we have a responsibility with our lives to lift up Jesus, to show him, to be real, but to make Jesus the priority in our lives, that calling, proclaiming, exclaiming that thing that God's given us, we're to be about it. God's proclaimed his truth from the law through Moses and through the prophets and to all of us that we need his grace. We need to come back to him. And he's calling each of us today that we also need to be about that work. People come because we go out and we tell them. We proclaim Christ. It's real. It's messy. And the problem is not the world around us. I'm sick of Christians blaming everything on the internet or the government or the media. There's plenty of bad stuff out there. Plenty of bad stuff. If you want to hear about some of that, you can go back to Deuteronomy 30. That's actually, in Deuteronomy 18, different passages, there's some nasty stuff in the book of Deuteronomy. People were sinful then, just like they are now. The point is, through the mess and through the ups and downs, we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we keep ourselves away from all this stuff that poisons our souls. We keep our purposes set on Jesus, He's the center of all of it because the problem is our will. It's our attention. It's our focus. Quit blaming it on other stuff and understand that we quite simply, all of us, myself included, live for the wrong things. We simply put the wrong things at the front of the line and we don't surrender to Jesus and we give our lives to all these things that hurt us, they distract us, and they divide us from all that God's promising us in this passage. Right now, you're probably thinking about something. Me too. The heart of the problem, as one preacher said, is the problem of the heart. That's why this passage is so key, that we confess with our mouths, but we believe in our hearts. Romans 10, 15 and 17, if you look here at this passage, this reminds us, it calls us, we take our hearts, we take our lives, we trust, we follow where God leads, we go. And we understand that life being real with God is a lot better than all the facade and all the fake, we got it all together stuff that we've ever been about. It's so much better. Our purpose to proclaim Christ is so much better than all the other stuff that we waste our time here. It's so much better. The whole Christian life is about it. The core of our being is to know Jesus and to belong to him. The core of God's word, the entirety of it, from the Old Testament to the very end, when he comes again, 
the entirety of the creation around us and how beautiful it is. Everything is to point people to their need for a Savior. That's why we exist. That's what we're here. And we have to decide what matters most and what we're going to be about. God's people have always struggled with this idea of this calling. They've always struggled to do all this stuff, this mess, all the stuff we get into, the temporary stuff that we waste our time on, it'll never satisfy us, not for long. This is a reminder today that if you put your life in anything other than claiming, exclaiming, and proclaiming Jesus, you're never going to be happy. You're never, ever going to be happy. From beginning to the end, God's law God's prophets have called us back to belong to him. They've called us back. Here in Romans 10, 19, and 20, the quoting here is from the law and the prophets. Again, the whole of God's word, it all lines up. Deuteronomy 33, Isaiah 65, it's all about Christ. Look here what it says. Deuteronomy 32, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Your idol, as you guys know, we talked about this. Anything you put between you and God. So I'll make them jealous with those who are no people. I'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. God says, oh yeah, you think you're special because you're the church or you're the Jewish nation, you're the covenant people? He says, I'll give my word to all people. I'm calling all people through you to know me. And if you're not going to do it, I'll find someone else. What does Jesus tell us? If we don't do it, even the rocks will cry out and exclaim. Isaiah 65 he said, I was ready to be sought. Here I am, God says, by those who did not ask for me. God says, I'm going to go to who I'm going to go to. Those who did not seek me. Here I am, God says, here I am. To the nation that was not called by my name. God says, you think you're special, church? We have a mission. We have a calling to complete. The greatest need of our lives is to have a real, grounded, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ and to share that with the world around us. That's why we exist. By faith. Are we going to go out and are we going to claim Christ? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ today. Are you going to exclaim Christ? Are you going to praise God with how you live your life, with what you're about? What stuff you're getting into? Maybe something's pulling you off track in your life from belonging more fully to God. Maybe it's something that's not even bad, but it's not Jesus. And are you going to share? Are we going to proclaim Jesus far and wide? It's not about having it all together. It's not about knowing every verse to quote. It's not about having any of that. It's about how you live your life and whether every morning you belong to Jesus. You're going to say, God, today it's you and me. Start your day in God's Word. We've got devotionals out there. They take five minutes. I have a nap. If you want a good one, go on. Get either Alistair Begg's Get uh, Truth for Life by Alistair Begg. Get Solid Joys by Dr. John Piper. Look those up. Five minutes every morning. I'm not going to tell you where I do my devotions. I actually have a waterproof phone. I do my devotions in the shower. I'm not going to lie. Five minutes. You can do it. Every day start by giving your life to Jesus. And every day start by acknowledging that the greatest need of our lives is to have faith, to belong completely to Jesus. Are we going to claim him by faith? Or are we going to follow him wherever he leads us on this adventure that we have in him?
Let's pray. God, that we would belong more completely to you, that we would be more your people this day. God, that we would be changed, that we would belong to you. Lord, in each and everything that we do, that you would be the first thing in our lives, that you would not just be our fire insurance, that you would be our Lord, that you indeed would rule and reign. God, over us, over our lives, over this church, over our relationships, that we would understand what it means to follow you by faith, that even when we feel like we're hanging by a thread, that you are there and you say, follow me, I've got this, I'm with you, I have a plan. God, that's what you call us to this day, that you will, by faith, through grace, make us your people. I pray you would do that, that you would strengthen us, that you would guide us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.